couple of weeks ago, we started a short series called Intentional Living, and we focused on having the mind of Christ in 2020, being humble people and serving and working together for the sake of unity in Christ. Today, we're going to look at part two. In his book, The Social Animal, David Brooks summarizes what he considers vast amounts of social science research when he writes this. Information programs alone are not very effective in changing behavior. You probably already knew that. Information programs alone are not very effective in changing behavior. That is, just having the right information doesn't make us better people, does it? He further writes, both reason and will are obviously important in making moral decisions and exercising self-control. But neither of these character models has proven very effective. You can't tell people not to eat the french fries. You can, you can tell people not to eat the french fries. You, you can give pamphlets about the risks of obesity. You can deliver sermons urging them, and I wouldn't do this, to exercise self-control and not to eat french fries. And in their non-hungry state, most people will vow not to eat them, but when their hungry self arises, well-intentioned self fades, and they eat the french fries. Most diets fail because the conscious forces of reason will not, are, are simply not powerful enough to consistently subdue unconscious urges. So, this is not a sermon about diets or New Year's resolutions. This is a reminder that knowing the right thing to do and being able to do it are different things. Knowing that you should be patient with your kids and then being able to do that are two different things. Knowing that you should be kind and serve your wife is having the right information. Being able to do it is totally different. Knowing that you should encourage your spouse is different than telling them all the things they've done wrong. Understanding God's design for sex to, for married couples is not the same thing as honoring that truth and that principle. Now, to make this more difficult, you know, knowing the right information and not being able to follow through. Sometimes Christians reduce their Christianity to a set of rules to keep. Christians are to do these things. And if we do them, we are good. We are good people if we do the right things. The Christian life is reduced to keeping Rules and making right choices. And when we are left to our own strength, these rules actually are impossible. Um, now, God has given instructions in his words for, things, for us things to do. He has given rules for us on how we should live. Um, but he has also given us the resources to follow through. And there's often a major breakdown right here. 
knowing the right things to do, and being able to do that. So today we're going to focus on the Holy Spirit, how we're related to him, and how he is a resource. First, if you follow on your outline in your program, number one, understand how you are connected to the Holy Spirit. Understand how you are connected. Uh, if you are a follower of Christ, a believer, a Christian, a genuine Christian, you are connected to God by the Holy Spirit. God is three persons. He's the Father, He's the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I don't know how to explain that. Three persons, one God. The Holy Spirit is God. He is a person. He is not an it. He is not a force. He is God. Okay? Um, and by the way, the Holy Spirit just happens to be God. This is how God revealed him. Uh, he's identified with the masculine pronoun. He is not a male, but he is identified with a masculine pronoun. He is a he, okay? Um, so first, uh, under uh, that main point, understand how you are connected to the Holy Spirit. A, you've been given a new spiritual birth by the Spirit. This is where it starts. If you are a follower of Christ, you've been given a new spiritual birth. If you are not a follower of Christ, yet you do not have a spiritual birth. Okay? You've been given a new spiritual birth. Titus chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. The Apostle Paul writes this. This is in the first century. This is after Jesus lived and went back to heaven and the church got its start. And the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared. And he's talking about in history when Jesus came to this earth and lived his life. And then he would die on the cross and pay the penalty for our sins, rise from the dead and go back to heaven. He appeared and he was, became our Savior by dying on the cross for our sins. Verse 5, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, not because of a list of rules that we kept, not because of anything that we did, but because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. It was his mercy. We can also say it was his grace because those are two aspects of God's love for us. We didn't get what we deserved. We deserved spiritual separation from God. The Bible calls that, Jesus called it hell. We deserve to be condemned to death. But it was because of God's mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth. There was a spiritual cleansing. We got a spiritual bath when we placed our faith in Christ and the Holy Spirit did a work in his life and he cleansed us from sin. This was not a baptism of water. When I grew up in the church, I learned from the church that I was raised in that this was a reference to infant baptism. It is not, okay? It's the work of the Spirit. He saved us through the washing of rebirth. He gave us a new spiritual birth. This is what Jesus meant when he told Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must receive a new birth, a spiritual birth. And this is how we become a child of God. New life, renewal, new life, 
a spiritual life that we never had before until we placed our faith in Christ by the Holy Spirit. Um, and and this, can, this brings a new... See, we become children of God at this point. With this new birth, we become children of God. And we, we have a spiritual nature that we never had before. We have a new capacity to please God. And so this is about the new capacity. Okay, next, we see that you were baptized by the Spirit. You were baptized by the Holy Spirit. This is a very misunderstood concept in my thinking. Baptism by the Spirit is not a second work of grace where God does something new and takes you to a new level of your spiritual life. Um, it's, uh, a, uh, it's part of the work of God at our salvation. When he takes us out of the world and he places us into the body of Christ. He connects us. This is how we are united with Christ. We are immersed in the body, and we are in the spiritual body of Christ, and Jesus is ahead, and that's God's work. It's not something that we feel or experience. It is just part of the gift of our salvation. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13 says... Um, for we were all baptized by one spirit. So just to remind you about the Corinthian church, this is the church that the Apostle Paul has the most criticism for in the New Testament. So they are not like spiritual giants. And he says, all of us. And actually he says that they're very immature in chapter 3. He says, you're acting like mere men. I can't tell you from non-Christians just by watching your life sometimes. So this is not like spiritual maturity. And he says, you were all baptized into Christ. All believers. It isn't about whether you're spiritually mature or have some great experience with God. It's about God's work when you came to faith. We were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. That was the purpose. God was forming his church, adding you to the church. That's how you got added. Water baptism is a public identification with the church. Baptism by the Spirit is identity with Christ. It's identity with his, um, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And that is in the spiritual dimension when you are placed into Christ doesn't make any difference who, the, who you are. Here he says, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all, all given one spirit to drink. And the idea is we were just totally immersed, just totally surrounded, totally connected with God through the Holy Spirit, our new spiritual birth, our new spiritual connection. Next, you are indwelled by the Spirit. Each... Uh, now, every one of these is important. Now, sometimes people just, oh, it's just one more thing, one more thing. But they, when you get the picture, it really makes sense how God has designed this and how God works. Um, when you placed your faith in Christ, the very instant that you did, whether you were four years old or 40 years old or 80 years old, whenever you placed your faith in Christ... 
the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you, to take up residence in you, to indwell you. This was not an experience. Um, this was something God did, whether you, were a, whether you were aware of it or not, whether you know it or not right now. This is something God did if you have placed your faith in Christ. Romans chapter 8, verses 9, and then verse 11. Verse 9 says, You, to the church, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, because you've been connected to God by the Holy Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. Now, he's, he, has, he already assumes that the Spirit of God lives in them. If they are true believers, the Spirit of God does live in them. And that's how he's communicating here. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ or the Holy Spirit, they do not belong to Christ. It's that simple. If you have the Holy Spirit, you are a true believer, you belong to God, you are in Christ, you are united with Him. If you do not have the Holy Spirit, you are not a genuine believer, you are not in Christ. Okay? Next slide. Verse 11, And, this, and if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead, the Holy Spirit, is living in you, and He is, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. What was he saying? He said, in the future, this same Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead at the resurrection is also one day going to raise your body from the dead whether you want him to or not. This is a promise of God. Doesn't make any difference whether you believe it. If you are a genuine follower of the cross, this, this is going to happen. And you are going to see Jesus face to face one day. Um, but the whole concept is that the, the Holy Spirit lives in you. That's a, that's a testimony of the New Testament. First Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, the Apostle Paul says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Here again, it's to that Corinthian church. It's not about are they spiritually mature or not. He says, don't you know that your bodies are the temple, temples of the Holy Spirit who, who is in you, whom you've received from God? Don't you know that? Don't you understand that? Because that makes a world of impact on how you live. He goes on, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Don't you get it? You're not in charge. You don't own your body. Jesus paid for it. He redeemed it. And the Christian life is a stewardship. It's, I take care of this. I'm responsible for how I live because I have been forgiven. I'm not going to get what I deserve. I've been given a gift. I've been given eternal life. I've been given heaven. I've been given the resources of heaven to live now. It makes a difference on how I live. Fourthly, under this section, you were marked by a seal of the Spirit. This is a great concept. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. And the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Have you heard that message? The message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. 
understanding. According to the Bible, you and I are sinners. We are separated from God. And the, the consequences for our sin is death, spiritual death. If we do nothing, the good news is Jesus died on the cross and he paid the penalty for our sin. He already paid for it. That's good news. We can't earn it or deserve it. It's not by works of righteous things we have done. Good news. And he invites us to trust him, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. That, that promise is still true today for everybody in this room. If you have believed, right here, when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit. When you believed, this happened. It's not something that you experience. It's something that God did. He marked you with the seal, and that seal was the promised Holy Spirit on your life. This was easily understood in the first century because when important documents and letters were sent, they had to be sealed. We, we lick envelopes and we don't even lick them anymore, but we have a kind of seal. But like in the first century, the way they would do an important document is that they would melt some wax with a candle and they would put the wax to close the document, whether it was an envelope or just folded paper. And then somebody with authority would take their signet ring that shows their authority, and they would mark the seal. And then it would dry, and there was a seal of authority, and that authority was not to be broken. If you violated that authority, you could be put to death in the first century in the Roman Empire if it was a Roman seal. People in Ephesus understood that, what a seal was about. And what the Apostle Paul is saying, your life has a seal on it, represented by the Holy Spirit. And God has marked you for himself. Uh, next slide, verse 14. The Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, a down payment, it's like putting down earnest money, a deposit guaranteeing, I really like that word, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. If you are a follower of Christ and you've placed your faith in Christ, God has marked you with his Holy Spirit and it's a guarantee all the way to redemption. It's not about your performance you weren't good enough to receive the gospel and you aren't good enough to keep salvation today and you will never be good enough to keep it on your own. And you are guaranteed. It's a gift, remember. It's not, it's not earned, but it makes a whole lot of difference how you live. Until the day of redemption, until Jesus comes back, to claim you personally for himself and usher you into his eternal kingdom. All right, that was just number one. Understand how you are connected 
to the Holy Spirit. Second one is understand how the Holy Spirit works in you. Understand how he works. By the way, there are no commands in anything I've said in the first section, is there? It's about understanding who the Holy Spirit is and how you're connected. Now we're going to focus on how the Holy Spirit works. Guess what? There are no commands in this section. Nothing to feel guilty about yet. First of all, he guides us into the truth. He guides us into the truth. This is good news because I need all the help that I can get when I come to this book and try to understand it. The truth of God, God's word. John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17. Jesus told his disciples yet, and this is something we have to understand. This was before he died and went back to heaven. The church had not yet started. He's talking now about the future. This is the last night of his life. And he's preparing the disciples for life without him. And Jesus says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth, meaning the Holy Spirit. And he is the Spirit of truth. He is the author of truth. He is the one who inspired the writers of Scripture. It's his book. He wrote the book, okay? Practical thing here. When I sit down to read this book, why not ask God to help me understand it? He's the author. The Holy Spirit can guide me into the truth and help me understand the truth. He's the one that... um, Puts all the dots together in understanding, the connections. Oh yeah, that connects to this verse, and this connects to here, and I think I'm starting to understand. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you. He's a a helper to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. The people who don't know Jesus yet don't have the Holy Spirit. They don't have this connection. They don't have this understanding or the ability to understand. But you know him, disciples, for he lives with you and will be in you. And at this point in their experience, the Holy Spirit was not in them. Because in the Old Testament period, the, the, the Holy Spirit did not live in the believer Sometimes helped them, sometimes answered prayers, sometimes was with them. And there are special occasions when the Holy Spirit was in certain people, like the prophets. But this was not normal for every believer. But it is normative today because of what happened in Acts chapter 2 when God sent his Spirit to the church. Um, Okay, so that's what Jesus said. He guides us into the truth. John 14, 26 also says, but when the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, um, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. He's a teacher. The Holy Spirit is is a teacher and he teaches us. He wants us to understand way more than you want to understand. So it's important that we trust him, that we ask him for help. Um, Next, he bears witness to the reality of Jesus Christ. It is the Holy Spirit that brings focus to the person 
of Jesus brings attention that makes sense out of the gospel to people. Um, I find this uh, really encouraging when it comes to sharing the gospel to think that I don't have to convince people it's not how smart I am, it's being faithful to present the truth and letting the Holy Spirit work to help people see and understand who Jesus is and what he did for us. Now, I came to faith when I was 25. I was very hard-headed. It took a long time to get through to me. But over time, God began to break down the barriers in my life. And I began to sense more and more, I think there's something to this. I think there's something to this. This may be true. This may be true. I think this is true. It is true. Oh, my. That's how God worked in my life. It wasn't a big day I got zapped or anything like that. It was a progression of a until I could see it and then trust Christ. John 15, 26 and 27. When the advocate comes, that's a great thing too. He is an advocate for us. He is for us. He represents us. He even sometimes prays for us. I've even left that passage out. Jesus says, I will, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you must also testify. It's the Holy Spirit that communicates the truth of Jesus. He did it through the apostles. He wants to do it through us. And he did it through somebody to help you understand the gospel. You've got to see the reality of Christianity and the reality of Jesus. Thirdly, he convicts us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. John 16 7 through 11. Now think about this. Sometimes Christians are judgmental, aren't they? Sometimes they just come, they, they know the rules, they tell you which rules are right, which rules are wrong, and if you break one, they tell you. And there's sort you know, Christians can be judgmental. But the Holy Spirit has a work, and He brings a judgment. Uh, John 16. Very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. Next slide. When he comes, he will prove the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. Some of the older translations say he will convict the world. He is going to show people who don't know Jesus yet what sin is and where they didn't measure up. And he does that while he is at work. He does that in in our our lives as well. He shows us um, what sin is, and he shows us what righteousness is. And once in a while, he gives us a glimpse of judgment to come. Um, Now, sometimes people who are not yet followers of Christ blame Christians for being judgmental because God is bringing conviction about sin in their life. And they just feel guilty. And they sort of blame Christians for making them feel guilty. Sometimes that may happen. Uh, Next slide. Convict the world about righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer and about judgment because of the prince of this world that now stands condemned. 
I think I left out one phrase, but I think you already got it. Um, next, uh, he brings glory to Jesus and not himself. The Holy Spirit does not focus on himself. He does not draw attention to himself. He, he does not want to be paraded around. If the Holy Spirit is at work, he is going to point to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. John 16, 13 and 14. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. So there's another focus on the Holy Spirit being the Spirit of truth, and he will guide you into the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. I'm going to talk about the future. Good news for us. He told us a lot about the future. For example, the book of Revelation. He's coming back. He's going to establish his kingdom. A lot is going to happen. We know the end right now. Verse 14, he will glorify me, Jesus, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. The focus is to glorify Jesus, to magnify, to shine the light on Jesus, to bring the attention to Jesus. And that's how God planned all of this, that one day, one day every knee should bow, not before the Holy Spirit, but before Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Okay, now we got to get personal. Number three, understand how to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Understand how to be controlled. The presence of the Holy Spirit is an awesome gift. How do you take advantage of this amazing resource that we have if we're followers of Christ? First thing we need to know, we are commanded to be filled with the Spirit. All of the other passages that we had, given a new birth, baptized by the Spirit, indwelled by the Spirit, sealed by the Spirit, the work of the Spirit had no commands, no instructions on any expectations that we should do something. But now we come to perhaps the most important for us to do. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. The Apostle Paul writes to the church, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And so um, the Apostle Paul focuses here on one issue, and the issue is control. Who or what is in control of your life? So he says, don't get drunk on wine. Don't be intoxicated by a substance, because when you're intoxicated by a substance, you're under the influence. You don't have normal behavior. Something outside of you is influencing how you think, what you do, the decisions you make, and your behavior. Now, he's not ranting or raving about whether or not you can have a drink or not. He's saying the issue is don't let something intoxicate you. Don't be controlled by a substance. Certainly addiction gets you there. Drunkenness gets you there. 
Don't do that. But instead, in contrast to that, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Um, and, uh, you know, people read this. Yeah, it's a good idea. Yeah, it's a good idea. So what? Do you have the Holy Spirit? Are you indwelled with the Holy Spirit right now? Are you filled with the Holy Spirit right now? Okay. I have a little experiment. I confess. Never tried this before. Maybe you can just help hold these for me. So, this is the Alka-Seltzer experiment. Here we go. We have Alka-Seltzer. They're, they're actually the same, okay? I'm going to put this Alka-Seltzer in here, this Alka-Seltzer in here. I could have probably let a little more of this Alka-Seltzer out. So what's the difference here? See, they both have a packet of Alka-Seltzer. Nothing is happening here. I should have probably opened this up a little more. This was, some of you can see it, some of you can't. This is slowly bubbling. And over time, everything in that packet will be in this glass, and this glass will be totally under the influence of Alka-Seltzer. There you have it. So what's the difference? Both have... You have the Holy Spirit if you're a follower of Christ. You may not be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. That's a possibility. A lot of people don't understand that. And it's a choice. This is something you can experience. It may not be a big experience. I'm not a very emotional guy. I, I can't tell every second whether or not I'm under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Generally, I just take it by faith. I live by faith. Because God's Word is true. And then I see results. Sometimes I have experiences. Sometimes I feel great joy. I feel a big reward that only God could give. Sometimes, you know, I'm like head to toe. I, I sort of just, wow. Sometimes it happens in worship. Sometimes it happens when I'm speaking. A lot of times not. I always want to be under the influence of the Spirit. What I'm teaching, I want to be under it all the time. But I'm not. Sometimes I get sloppy and sometimes I fail and goof up and sometimes I say stupid things and make dumb choices. But I want you to see we are commanded to be filled with the Spirit. This is a choice to be filled or not to be filled with the Spirit. Um, next. We need to know that our personal sin disrupts the power and the leadership of the Spirit. i got to help this along.
That will be better. Next time I'll know that. <laughs> Our personal sin disrupts the power and leadership of the Holy Spirit. Psalm 66, 18. David, who got deeply engrossed in sexual sin with Bathsheba, understood this. Because when he got far from God in his personal life, he just sort of left God alone. And here's what he understood later. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. He came back to God and confessed sin. And he understands that sin is a barrier between him and God. That God doesn't hear our prayer when we are willfully disobedient. He just doesn't have to listen. You know, for a parent, when your child willfully disobeys what you've clearly instructed, does that affect your relationship with your child? It should. And there should be some instruction on how, the ch how your child can get back with you and get into a right relationship with you, assuming there's some kind of confession of wrongdoing and a desire to follow and obey. So sin can disrupt us. It can break down the barrier. And, the, and it's just like short-circuiting the work of the Holy Spirit. It could be attitude, actions. Ephesians 4, 29 through 32 says this, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for the building up of others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Listen. That sounds like good advice, doesn't it? It's instruction. In fact, it's command. Notice verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. We, we saw that earlier, the sealing of the Holy Spirit, his presence in your life. Our speech can grieve the heart of God. It separates us from God. It hinders our relationship. It short-circuits the power and influence of the Holy Spirit. And he continues, next slide. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. If we are filled with the Holy Spirit we can accomplish improvement in our speech. And then when we fail, we admit when we're wrong. And we ask for forgiveness. And we also forgive others. But we do that in the power of the Holy Spirit, under His influence, if we are filled. I'm going to skip the next uh, 1 Corinthians 6, you can just write it down if you want, 6, 18 through 20. I'm going to go to the next point. We have a provision for daily spiritual cleansing. This is something you already know. This is good news, 1 John 1, 9. So if I have sinned and I've disrupted the influence of the Holy Spirit, I'm no longer filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm like the Alka-Seltzer where nothing is happening, okay? I have the Holy Spirit, but he's not influencing me. Then I have this promise. If we confess our sins, there's a condition. We must confess our sins, agree with God that what we've done is wrong, 
is displeasing to him. That's confession. He, so it goes back to God now, he, God, is faithful. That's his character. And just, he's fair, and will forgive us. That's the promise, our sins, and purify us from all unrighteousness. And we don't deserve it, do we? We don't deserve salvation. We don't deserve to be saved. We don't deserve to be forgiven when we get sloppy. But he promises he will. Is that true or not true? The sad thing is what happens sometimes after we mess up and we do something that we feel is really bad is we don't think God will forgive us. I'm not good enough to go back to God. And so we just do nothing. Create some distance between God and us. Because we don't think it's, it's too easy. This is God's plan, not yours. And if we fall down, the most important thing we can do is get back up soon. And this is God's provision for us to get back up so we can continue living in the power of the Holy Spirit. Keep short accounts with God. How do we do that? Just by admitting our sin. Sometimes we get tired of it. It's okay. Go ahead and get tired of it. But you just keep walking with God. Okay. So we have a provision. Uh, Also, we can pray to be filled with the Spirit. We're not commanded to pray to be filled with the Spirit. There's nowhere is there a command that you should pray. But we can. It's one of our resources. Prayer is one of our spiritual resources. The key idea is to yield, to yield to the Lordship of Christ, to yield to the power of the Holy Spirit, to come to God and say, God, I'm yours. I want to do whatever you want me to do. That's yielding. And so we can pray and ask God to fill us with the Holy Spirit. If you prayed this morning, and if you asked God to fill you with the Holy Spirit right now, do you think he would fill you? Do you think he would fill you? 1 John 5, verses 14 and 15. Apostle John says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Confidence to approach God with this request. Anything according to his will, he hears us. Is it God's will for you to be filled with the Spirit? We should have a true-false exam right now. Is it God's will for you to be filled? Absolutely yes. If you ask, he will hear. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that what we've asked of him, we know that we have what we've asked of him. That's a faith issue. Do you believe God that if you ask, first you meant the condition, I have been cleansed, The whole idea of cleansing. In the Old Testament, for example, at the temple, something like a a bucket used to carry out ashes at the temple had to be cleansed and be made holy before it could be used for God. The same is true for us. 
We need to be cleansed and holy. Not, that's not a magical word. It just means my sin is confessed before God and I am clean and now I'm usable. If my sin is confessed, I can come to God and I can pray and I can ask according to his will that I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, do I have to have any magical experience to be filled? No, I don't. I might have something happen. I might not. It doesn't make any difference. It's a faith issue. And then I live. I make decisions. I talk to God throughout the day. I pay attention to what I know he wants. I know a lot from scripture that he wants. I ask for his help when I need it. When I know I need it, I ask for help. I ask for his wisdom. I can do that throughout the day. I can be confident that I'm filled with the Spirit. Now, I'm not perfect. I may get angry at my wife later this afternoon, and I'll have to tell her I'm sorry, and I'll have to start over. I fall down. i got to get back up. Um, we are designed to live under the control of the Spirit day by day. I'll use We've got one passage here, Galatians 5.16. This is God's intention, day after day after day. It's not this magical ex- experience for a few people who are really spiritual. It's for all Christ followers, and it's for every day, all day. So I say, walk by the Spirit. It's a good, good word picture. Walk, one step. Throughout the day, I keep moving forward. The idea of walking is just living moment by moment. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's good news. If I am living in the power of the Spirit, I'm not going to mess up. I, I can. I can disengage and do my own thing. But in general, God is always leading me to please Him. Uh, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. Please notice that. You have an old nature the one you had before you came to faith in Christ. It tends to be selfish and self-centered. And guess what? You still have it. It's still there. It's still alive and well. Don't be confused about this. You also have a new capacity, a new self, new nature, and you can please God, and you can walk in the power of the Spirit. God has designed you that way. After you became a follower of Christ, you could do that. You couldn't do it before. But the Apostle Paul says here there's a conflict. The flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. The Spirit, there's two opposing forces in your life. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do whatever you want. Sometimes Christians make the mistake that if I have a war going on inside, there's something wrong with me. I must be a weak Christian. All Christians have a war going on inside over different things. Some are not bothered by some things. Some are bothered by other things. But they all have things that they can be tempted with. And they have the Holy Spirit working as well. You don't have to give in to the flesh. I'm not saying you're not going to fail because you will. But you don't have to live there day after day after day. Lastly, we can trust God to bring growth and maturity to our lives. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. You know this passage. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, 
joy, peace, forbearance. That's a good one. Uh, the ability to put up with other people, nasty people, people we're married to. It's the ability to put up with difficult people sometimes. Um, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there's no law. There's freedom in Christ. There's no law against these things. And they just keep coming out as fruit. You know, fruit happens when you plant a seed. Plant an apple seed. You can get an apple tree that will eventually produce apples, fruit. If you plant the gospel and you come to faith in Christ, you'll get a new birth, a new spiritual life that will begin to grow. And then as the Holy Spirit works in your life, this fruit will begin to show up over a lifetime. It won't all come out perfect, but it can all keep growing. And that is really good news. So, are you growing as a Christ follower? Do you see these things? Because this is a demonstration of God's Spirit working in you. Um, so understand how you're connected to the Holy Spirit. You have a new birth. You're baptized by the Spirit, indwelled by the Spirit, sealed by the Spirit. Understand how the Holy Spirit works in you. He guides you into the truth of God's Word. He bears witness to Christ. He convicts us of sin. Uh, he brings glory to Jesus. Focus. Lastly, understand how you can be controlled by the Spirit. Remember, we are commanded to be filled. It's the clear one about the Holy Spirit. Um, and our, our sin uh, hinders us from the possibility of being under the influence of the Spirit. When we confess our sin, it can be removed, we can be cleansed, we can be ready for the Holy Spirit to influence us, and uh, we can pray and trust God to carry out His Word according to His will, and He will fill us. A.W. Tozer, Christian author and pastor, wrote this. He said, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. What do you think of that? If the Holy Spirit left us today, would the bridge go on and nobody notice? 95% of what we do just is the same old thing week after week. We teach the same old way. We serve the same old way. We sing the same old way. And there's no growth in the lives of people. And people don't come to faith in Christ. God isn't honored. We just go through the motions so, how do we do it at the bridge? As we close this morning, I want to give us an opportunity for anybody here, if you want to be filled with the Spirit and you're not sure, I'll just go through the steps. And it's about yielding. It's about you wanting to yield and you wanting the Holy Spirit to fill you. And you just need to be honest with God. If there is sin, you need to confess it to Him. You can do that privately and silently. So let's all bow together and let's pray uh, this morning as we close. Just want to invite you to reconnect today with the Holy Spirit.
with God. So we can serve His church, we can serve Christ in His strength and in His power. It's your choice, it's your decision. And right now, do you want to yield to the Lordship of Christ? Is this your attitude? You want to be reminded that you are the servant and He is the Master. That the Holy Spirit is God and He wants to fill you and He wants to have influence in your life. He wants to influence your decisions, your thoughts. He wants to influence your behavior. He wants to give leadership to your life. And just make sure right now that your sins are confessed to God. Just be honest. Are there any attitudes? Maybe it's your speech. Maybe it's your thought life. Things you've done. Maybe you need to be, just be honest with God. Maybe it's the way you treated somebody in your family. Ask Him right now to forgive you. Just be totally honest. Ask Him to forgive you of your sin. Have Him point out anything to you that you need to confess. And that's His job. And now I just want you to be totally confident in prayer and ask God to fill you with His Spirit. Ask Him to take control of your life. Tell him that you want him to be in charge. Father, it's my prayer this morning that you will fill us with the power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you that we can be totally confident that you answer our prayers according to your will. We know it's your will that we be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now may we just trust you, whether we feel different or whether we feel better or not, may we trust you that we are in, under the influence of your Spirit. May you work in our minds to show us a truth to remind us of things that we should know or things that we should do. May we live to please you, not to please ourselves. For Jesus' sake, I pray. Amen.